Welcome to Earth Matters, bringing you environment and social justice stories. Today's episode was produced on the lands of the Yidinji people in Gimoy, Kansas City, and the Darwal Wuru people in Port Douglas region, and in the Yuan Nation of Walbonga people in the Yurubadala Shire, New South Wales. I'd like to pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Thank you to the people powering Radio 3CR in Nam, Melbourne and the Community Radio Network for broadcasting Earth Matters nationally across these stolen lands. I'm Beck Horridge. Three young Queenslanders have stepped up their fight to protect the Great Barrier Reef by writing to UNESCO World Heritage Committee, urging the icon be listed as in danger due to the severe risk it faces from global heating and the federal government's ill-founded reliance on and prolonging of fossil fuels. Environmental Justice Australia lawyers, on behalf of the three young women, have written to UNESCO arguing the federal government has failed to meet its obligations under the 1972 World Heritage Convention and they want the federal government to protect the reef from its most serious threat, global heating. Back in June this year, UNESCO recommended the reef be added to the list of world heritage in danger which has put pressure on the federal government to face up to climate threats to the reef on the international stage. It would also open the reef to more funding and assistance to tackle the pressing issues placing the health of the reef at risk. It's alleged that the federal government persistently lobbied UNESCO and they deferred the decision about listing it at its heritage, and requested the government report back on its action to protect the global icon by February 1st, 2022. Well, what happened recently is that the government has promised a billion dollars in funding over 10 years to clean up water runoff into the reef, mostly off agriculture, and do more research but the government still fails to make the grade in cutting coal and CO2. In response, three community leaders, Claire Galvin, 20, from Cairns, Brooklyn O'Han, 18, from Townsville, and Ava Shearer, 17, from Port Douglas, are stepping up their fight to protect the reef, which is not only an international wonder, but is integral to their lives, communities, and local economies. Ava, would you tell me a bit about yourself and how did all this start for you? Sure. I have been advocating for the reef, I reckon, my entire life until I uh, knew what was actually going on. Um, I have been a snorkel guide for nearly five years on the Great Barrier Reef. I'm very proud of that. Um, So I've definitely witnessed the reef in all of its glory and um, definitely when it's been impacted a bit. But I absolutely adore the reef. Uh, It's my passion. It's my home. It's my favourite place to be. Uh, Really, I just adore everything around me that's natural. Absolutely gorgeous. 
Um, and it's just really important to me. So, yeah. <laughs> could you snorkel before you could walk? <laughs> uh, I reckon I say I could actually. Um, you know, my dad was a skipper, so he'd take me out to the reef all the time. And, um, you know, I'd snorkel so much and see all these epic big fish and get really excited about it. So I'd say, yeah, I reckon I could. <laughs> I remember when I was about eight years old, I went to the Great Barrier Reef to see the coral for the first time with my family and it was mind-blowing. Claire, how did all this start for you? Um, I've grown up in Cairns pretty much my whole life and I have really vivid memories from a young age of going to the reef and various islands around the place. Um, and one of the most prominent childhood memories I have is of snorkeling on the Great Barrier Reef and just being in total awe of how the reef looked. The colours were so vivid and so beautiful and there were just beautiful, colourful schools of fish that some around me. And um, I remember that particular time I saw maybe about six turtles and they'd like bob up to the surface and take breaths of air and then dive back down into the depths of the ocean. And I just remember thinking um, it was one of the most magical places I'd ever been and um, I just felt like a connection to the reef. Um, and so I've tried to go to the reef as much as I can throughout my life. Um, I went to the reef on Sunday and saw five octopi, which was an amazing experience. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, growing up in Cairns and far North Queensland, you can't help but notice all of the beautiful places around us, like not just the reef, but we have the Daintree rainforest on our doorstep and, so many different creeks and waterfalls and beautiful places. And so I think if you've grown up here, you can't help but love it. And um, when I found out about climate change, um, you know, when you have that connection, you obviously want to do as much as you can to try and protect it. Claire, you've entered the big game here and you've been writing to UNESCO. What does UNESCO stand for? Oh, a United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organisation. You engaged the lawyers Environmental Justice Australia to help you. What did they do? Yes, I first got in contact with Ariane, who was my lawyer in the sort of initial stage of this. And I just went to a presentation that she had done on a bunch of different climate litigation that young people were doing across the world. And I saw what was happening. You know, there's litigation happening in the United States and in other places as well. And I was really inspired by that. And, you know, growing up in Cairns, you, like I've seen different impacts of climate change throughout my life and um, the way that things like coral bleaching is getting more frequent and severe. And so I, I ended up emailing Environmental Justice Australia and saying, hey, I have like seen all these impacts of climate change in my hometown. I'm really concerned about this. If there's any opportunities whatsoever, like let me know. And, you know, at the time that I wrote that, email I was also organizing school strikes and that sort of movement was just kicking off and so I ended up engaging in communication with Environmental Justice Australia for like quite a while and Environmental Justice Australia ended up sending a letter to the Environment Minister essentially asking her to revoke the approvals of Adani's mine because our lawyers had obtained like independent evidence from different climate and economic experts. And that independent evidence showed that, 
you know, in the first place, Adani's mine should have never been approved. So we had, you know, critical new evidence and also legal grounds to revoke the approval of the Adani mine. And that was the basis in which we wrote the letter to send to the minister. And so did she write back? Yeah, she wrote back and said, we'll get back to you later. And we still haven't received a reply yet to this letter. What Minister Lay still hasn't replied to your letter? No, (laughs) no reply. And, you know, technically the minister doesn't have to reply, but, you know, has sent promising letters saying that we may or may not receive a reply in the future. Who knows? It's all up in the air. But, um, you know, I think there's like there was a lot of strong grounds in which the letter was sent. Like there were three independent reports that basically linked you know, the burning of fossil fuels and the approval of the Adani mine to coral bleaching on the Great Barrier Reef. And yeah, essentially also debunked the substitution assumption, like the market substitution assumption, which is basically, you know, like the evidence to saying that a new coal mine puts additional coal into the market, which is pretty self-explanatory, but that encourages coal use across the world because that coal is being exported. But the argument that some people like to use is that if we don't build this mine, someone else will build a mine and then that'll just go into the market anyway. So we may as well build another one, which just doesn't make any sense because we've got renewable energy and, you know, that technology is ready to go. We've got battery storage and it's just the political will that we're lacking for that transition to happen to renewable energy. Yeah, I call that the heroin dealer's argument. If I don't sell it to that junkie, Somebody else will. (laughs) That's a much better way of putting it, yeah. (laughs) What about you, Ava? I reckon it all started with, um, because Claire and I went to the same high school, so I definitely give credit to Claire for inspiring me Uh, (laughs) with this. It all started, I reckon, when I learnt the impacts of climate change, especially working out on the reef and seeing it as well, uh, it definitely it definitely gets to you. I remember one site which was affected by 2016, 2017 bleaching. We went back there and I cried because it looked so bad. I cried. It was so horrible. So I was like, you know what? No, I don't like this. So we've got to do something about it. Yeah, definitely Claire and some other guys uh, got me into it. Done a couple of climate strikes, which have been absolutely awesome. Very, very fun um, getting into those. Um, I think my first project with the environmental lawyers was actually writing to the minister again, but this was for the central Queensland coal mine. So it's the uh, coal mine 10 kilometres from the Great Barrier Reef, which is pretty nasty, not liking it, not vibing. So I wrote to her about it. She got back to me with basically the same response as Claire got. We'll get back to you. We'll think about it. Like, you know, she doesn't have to respond, but it was pretty, pretty disappointing response. Like it should be a no-brainer. It's 10 kilometres from the Great Barrier Reef. You shouldn't have one there. Is that Clive Palmer's mine? Yeah. I just thought it was absolutely ridiculous having something, you know, 10 kilometres off the Great Barrier Reef. It's, It's insane to me, but... In a podcast the other day, she did say, oh, we're having it under very careful consideration. I was like, it shouldn't even need to be considered. But anyway, that's all right. (laughs) Yeah, so it was a pretty disappointing response from the Minister for the Environment um, to 
to say, you know, for someone who should be supporting the environment. Claire, you're from Cairns and Ava, you're from Port Douglas, both places that really rely on the tourism industry that Reef generates, both places full of people who work and love to show other people the beauty of the reef. Let's talk about how the health of the reef impacts the communities you live in and your family. Yeah, I've been doing campaigning with the Australian Youth Climate Coalition, actually asking that exact question. And so we've been talking to community members about climate change and what they're experiencing and impacts that they're facing. And on the whole, people are pretty concerned and people are already experiencing the impacts, whether that's, um, you know, coastal erosion, seeing how they're like the coast that they're living on is changing to extreme heat and flooding. Yeah, people are pretty on top of the issue. And especially because Cairns relies so heavily on tourism, people are pretty aware of, you know, the impacts of climate change. And I think what I found most interesting after having hundreds of conversations with people was that the key thing that people consistently identified as an issue for them when we asked them um, how they felt about climate change was how concerned they were that the government wasn't taking action on climate change. And like, it's pretty glaringly obvious that what's happening is just not good enough. And, um, you know, people aren't silly. They can see that. I'm sure Ava has lots to add on that as well. Yeah, um, no, I reckon my community is pretty aware as well. You know, um, Port Douglas heavily, very heavily uh, relies on tourism, especially like ecotourism because, you know, we got the Daintree. It's really, really close. It's about an hour away. And um, the reef, obviously. So we rely heavily on it. As Claire was saying, people aren't silly. Like, they know. I think one key example I could use where the government tries to seem like they're doing enough is the... The $1 billion they gave to us, they announced on Friday. Everyone was like, sweet, that's great, but um, it, it, you're not pulling the wool over our eyes. Like, is this due to the upcoming election? Are you doing it to make yourself look good? Like, you know, we definitely need the money for the reef, but people aren't silly. They, they know. And I reckon the main concern is just like the government's just not doing enough and people are starting to get frustrated with it as well really heavily frustrated yeah yeah and with one billion as well like it's it's great but there's also no mention of climate change and you know not not talking about the transition we need to renewable energy and stopping approving coal mines and gas projects and so like it's pretty clear fossil fuels are the number one cause of climate change but like that billion dollars didn't really address that at all and the government isn't doing that either. Claire Galvin speaking there with Ava Shearer, both young Queenslanders wanting real action for the reef they love by stopping the CO2-spewing monstrosity Adani coal mine, for starters. You're with Earth Matters, bringing you environment and social justice issues, broadcast nationally across these stolen lands via the Community Radio Network. I'm Beck Horridge. We're talking to Claire Galvin and Ava Shearer about the government's promise to clean up agricultural runoff and other sorts of water running off the land onto the Great Barrier Reef. 
government is saying that agricultural runoff is polluting the reef, and studies do show that, that where there's a lot of agricultural runoff, places where there's a lot of sugarcane growing, are the places where the health of the reef is diminished. But that's not the overall problem which is killing the reef and causing coral bleaching, which is that the surface of the water is now getting too hot and we have these huge coral bleaching events. Yeah, 100%. Like uh, one of our leading theories that we have is the buildup of nutrients and that runoff is causing more populations of crown of thorns starfish. So I, I guess the funding go hand in hand, that billion dollars of water quality and um, crown of thorns starfish, but it's, it's not addressing the main issue. It's the heat of the water, the pH of the water is getting more acidic, which is not ideal for corals. And it's just getting way too hot and that is driven by climate change. So. Yes, it is a part of the issue, but it's not it's not the big issue. It's not the big problem. Yeah. I often wonder about young people and how you really feel about rising CO2 emissions and the fact that we're not very good at bringing them down and also the thought of reaching climate tipping points. How do you feel about the climate crisis on a deeper level? Yeah. Um you know, I think climate change is one of the defining issues of our generation um, and young people are incredibly concerned about it. I know personally, I don't think too much about um, what climate change could mean for my future because that's um, too much for me to handle. Um, I just try to focus on the present um, and I think overwhelmingly, it's incredibly frustrating. Like I've only, I haven't been doing this for very long. I started getting into, you know, climate activism when I was around 17. And I just feel so utterly exhausted and angry because the issue is so clear, you know, like fossil fuel companies are pouring so much money into like donating to the major parties major parties are taking money from fossil fuel companies and then approving their projects. It's like, you know, I don't know how any politician can look into the eyes of young people and say that they're doing everything they can because they're not. And um, I, yeah, it's just, you can't justify it. And I, I, I just find it so, so frustrating when people um, say to young people, oh no, like you're so inspiring. Like, no, I've like sat for hours in countless meetings and um, like try to tackle this issue like as a teenager it's just utterly unacceptable that um, like this issue is like going to be handed down to like my generation and generations after us when we are not the ones that are causing the problem but we have to somehow find a solution to it. Ava what do you think? Yeah definitely what Claire was saying I think one of my biggest frustrations is that you do so much like climate activism is hard work sometimes, especially when you're organising a strike or you're trying to get people together and trying to communicate with people. It is so tiring, so, so tiring. And it can be so frustrating sometimes you do all this work and then the government or like a politician's like, good on you. It, oh, it's so frustrating. And then you just sit there and you go, ah. Oh, okay, so I did all of this work to try and communicate something so incredibly important to you and so alarming to you and you just go gold star. You know, it's it's so frustrating sometimes. 
and it's it's just really tiring. I don't I don't like to think about um, what would happen if we did get to climate tipping points, but I do I do incredibly worry that when I finish my degree in marine science, is there actually going to be a reef out there for me to study? Like, are my kids actually going to be able to see something that I absolutely adore? It, it's terrifying to think it might not be there very, very soon. That absolutely terrifies me. But then that also keeps me going. It keeps me like, you know what, we have to fight for it because it's incredibly important. You know, the reef gives people livelihoods, but it also balances out our weather. It's incredibly, incredibly amazing ecosystem and it actually does so much for us. And then you have parties who just, frankly, just seem to not give a shit. And it it's, it really hurts sometimes, especially when you care about something so much and you're trying to like tell someone, come on, this is really important. We can't get it to this point. We can't get there. It's it's bad if we get there. And they're just like, yeah, well, okay, we'll think about it. Yeah. If you got a chance now, Ava, to speak directly to all those politicians, to stand in the chamber and talk to them, what would you say to them? Ooh. <laughs> uh, there's some not so nice words. Um, <laughs> but basically I'd tell Parliament House, pull it together, please, please pull it together. You, your grandchildren are going to live in this potential really, really horrible environment and you're just sitting there and you don't care. You cannot tell me that you don't care about your grandchildren and your grandchildren's children. Come on. Just don't think about the money for a second and think about the livelihoods and the important Life, like, it, just think about human life. This is so important. Just stop thinking about something material for just a second and think about the, the good that you can do for everyone. Sure, everyone might not agree with you. No one's going to. Like, it would be boring if we all did, but it would also be good in some factors. Um, but, yeah, you just got to do what's right. And how about you, Claire, if you got a chance to just stand in front of the parliament and say what you think? Um, I'd say I'm sure every single one of you have a young person in your life, whether that's family or friends or the person that makes your coffee every morning. Um, And you can't tell me that you can look into that person's eyes or my eyes and say that you're doing everything you can to solve this problem um you know you're letting down generations of young people who you're meant to be representing and I just can't see how you're justifying what you're doing um and frankly yeah what Ava said put pull your heads together the solutions that we need are already here so get with it we don't have much time Claire and Ava, I really hope that the politicians and the people out there hear your message and wish you all the success with your campaigning. You'll inspire me to keep going till my hair is actually falling out. (laughs) And likewise. Is there anything else you want to say? I think if I could add anything, it's that every single thing that you can do does make a difference. And when we look at social change, it's not one big glamorous event um, that changes everything in an instant like that. It's hundreds and hundreds of 
little rallies and events and conversations that you have with people that do create that change. And so if you're going to take anything away from this, it's get active with a local climate group or environment group in your area and start campaigning and have conversations with your family and friends about who they're voting for in the federal election and why. And, um, you know, start, start those small steps because that's what's going to get us out of this mess. Claire Galvin and Ava Shearer. You have been listening to Earth Matters. This edition was produced for Radio 3CR in Nam, Melbourne, Wurundjeri country, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. If you'd like to get in touch with the Earth Matters team, you can email us at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or visit our Facebook on Earth Matters 3CR Radio. And to listen to or to share editions of Earth Matters, you can find this and all the Earth Matters podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. Look out for more from the Earth Matters team next week. I'm Beck Horridge. This version of Beds Are Burning with Missy Higgins on vocals was released February 2020 as a bushfire charity flash record by Amanda Palmer and Friends. Out where the river broke The bloodwood and the desert oak Holding wrecks and boiling diesels Steaming 45 degrees The time has come To save fair's fair To pay the rent To pay our share The time has come A fact's a fact It belongs to you